If you have your Bible this morning, uh, please turn with me to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. That will also be printed in your bulletin. It will also be on the screen behind me this morning. As you're turning, I'll tell you about a book that I read a couple of months ago uh, called The Culture Code by Daniel uh, Coyle. And it's one of those books, the the market's flooded with these kinds of books, it seems like. It's like The Advantage and Built to Last and all of those kinds of books that are mainly about organizational health. And Coyle, much like all the other writers on this topic, says that the most important thing for any organization that is healthy and wants to be secure and long-lasting is you've got to know who you are. You've got to know who you are and where you're going because it helps you to stay on course. Well, the same can be said of the church. We also need to be clear about who we are. Also need to be clear on where we're going. I did this last August. We're doing it again this August, but we're doing a little mini-series on who we are. What are our priorities? We want to stop. Uh, every now and then, and ask the obvious questions of what are we working towards here? What are we all about as a church? What makes this thing called Faith Prez what it is, and how do we stay secure in it? And in the Culture Code, Coyle says this, we all have priorities whether we name them or not. And if you want to grow or if you want to stay on course and stay healthy, then you better start naming your priorities. So that's what we want to do this morning. We want to do an overview kind of of what's important to us as a church. Who do we want to be? What do we want to see God do? And to do that, we want to look at 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. This is God's word. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And so he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, Know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure this man's leprosy? Only consider and see he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, He sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. And so Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. 
And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and sent and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farbar the rivers of Damascus? Are they not better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before them, and he said, Behold, I now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. This is God's word. Let me pray and ask God to come through his spirit and to help us this morning. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be good and right and pleasing to you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So the question is, uh, that's on the table, is what are our priorities at Faith Church? Another way we could say it, a way I like to say it, is if you were to squeeze us, not that anybody would squeeze the church, but if you were to squeeze us as a church, what are the things that come out of us? Or what do we want to come out of us? Well, simply put, we want to be a place of grace. Secondly, we want to be a place of ordinary things. And thirdly, we want to be a place of good news. Those are the three points this morning. A place of grace, a place of ordinary things, and a place of good news. That will also provide the outline for the next three weeks of our series. We'll take one of those each week and focus on them. Let's look at number one, a place of grace. Look at verse 1. Look at this description of Naaman. Verse 1 is jam-packed. The author is making a point. He wants us to know how wonderful and how great Naaman is. Look at the words there that are used. Commander of the army. Great man. Mighty man of valor. This is saying that Naaman is incredibly accomplished. He's extremely wealthy. He's very successful, he's educated, he's sophisticated, he is a successful military general. He has everything. He has absolutely everything. Let me put it in our terms. Uh, He graduated from a great high school, he's the quarterback of the football team, he's the prom king, he's valedictorian, (laughs) he graduates high school and gets a full-ride presidential scholarship to an Ivy League school And now he's the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. That's Naaman. He's that guy. The one who is killing it in life. But he's got a big problem, doesn't he? Out of all the accolades that have given to him by the author in verse 1, look how verse 1 ends. There's a big problem. But he was a leper. 
He was sick with leprosy. You know what leprosy is. It's the nasty skin disease where your body literally rots away and begins to fall apart. Naaman was a dead man walking. He had everything, and yet at the very same time, his life was literally falling apart. And Naaman is a picture of you this morning. Naaman is a picture of me this morning. Naaman is a picture of every single one of us in this room this morning. We live over in the mountain Birmingham. And by global standards, by the standards of the world, you're all successful. Every single person in this room is accomplished. By global standards, you're all considered wealthy. And yet we're all sick. We all have what the Bible calls spiritual leprosy. Leprosy of the heart. And yes, on the one hand, the Bible says you are created in the image of God and you have great dignity as a human being and you have great beauty. But on the other hand, the Bible says that there's this thing called sin inside your heart. You have leprosy of the heart. And it causes your heart not to work properly. It makes you love yourself more than you love anything else. It makes you love yourself more than you love God and more than you love other people. It makes you seek to be a glory thief. It makes you seek your own glory more than you seek the glory of God and other people. It causes inside the human heart for your heart to be filled this morning with things like fear and anxiety and unbelief and jealousy and resentment and greed and lust. Those are the ways the Bible describes what's wrong with us. A few weeks ago, I was reading the newspaper, and there was an opinion piece that caught my attention, mainly because of the title. It was hilarious on one hand, but on the other hand, it was very sobering and hit way too close to home. The title of the article was, The Most Awful, Humiliating, embarrassing thing that's happened in my marriage. And then in parentheses, it says so far. And the article was about a couple in their first year of marriage. They are visiting family. And this family that they're visiting has young children, babies. And while they're in the house visiting family, uh, they get into this very heated exchange. And they start to argue. Well, it starts to escalate, so they thought they would remove themselves from everyone else and go back into one of the bedrooms and close the door. And so they did that. They went into one of the guest rooms, and the tempers began to flare even more. And it got even more heated, and they said some really nasty things to one another. And then the wife all of a sudden goes white and starts to uh, have this strange look on her face. Well, she sees the baby monitor sitting next to the bed, and it's on. And she knows that the other end of the baby monitor, the speaker to the baby monitor, is actually in the living room where all of the guests are sitting and where they're located. They were praying that no one had picked it up or that it wasn't on. That was not the case. They were embarrassed and humiliated when they learned that everyone heard every single word that they had said. Then listen to this quote. Even when there hasn't been a baby monitor broadcasting our tension, marriage has been humbling for my wife and me. 
It has often made us face our ugly sides, and it still does sometimes. On the outside, you're this decent person who's easy to get along with and easygoing. You're at work, you would never tell off a coworker. You would never post an insult on someone's Facebook page. No, you're likable and respectful and kind. You're even admirable. But when the doors close at home, someone else emerges. The real you. And what if people got to listen to that person on the other end of the baby monitor? Oh, well, you would offer the same feeble excuses that you tell yourself. I'm really not like that. I'm just reacting to the other person. Whatever. If the best you is going to emerge in your marriage, it requires you dealing with yourself first. And you hear that, and maybe you're even, maybe in your pride, you're even pushing back against this thing. You really don't know me. I'm really not that bad. Well, let's just say, for example, we were to hook a baby monitor up to your life this morning. For the last seven days, we played a baby monitor of all of your thoughts. Remember thought, word, and deed in the confession? Thought, word, and deed. We were to proclaim that through the sound system or project it on the screen behind me just the last seven days. You see, there's not a one of us, your pastor included, that would not run out of here this morning, never to show our faces here again. And in our pride, you see, we don't want to acknowledge the leprosy of our hearts. But we, when we hear a story like that, we know it's all true because we feel it deep inside of our hearts. And so what does that mean for Faith Church this morning? Who we want to be? Well, friends, we want to be an, a, a community that acknowledges and recognizes and owns up to the fact that we're all sick. We want to be a place that acknowledges that we have spiritual leprosy, so to speak. We want to be a place that acknowledges that we need healing of what the Bible calls sin that's deep inside of us. We want to be a community that openly acknowledges and admits that what comes through the baby monitor is often pretty ugly. And we need to be rescued. We need Jesus to come and do what we could never do. To say it another way, we want to be a community that when you walk in those doors at any time of the week in our church, you take a deep breath and you exhale and you say, I'm home. I'm safe. I'm in a place where the real me can come out and I know that I'm going to be loved and cared for. Rather than being a place where you come into and you tense up for fear that you're going to be judged and looked down upon and for fear that you don't have it all together. I love Tim Keller, this quote. He says, the church is to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for the saints. That's what we want Faith Church to be. A hospital for sinners. That's our prayer. We want to be a place where you can bring the real you, where you don't have to fake it, You don't have to put on your best smile and hide your doubts and pain, but a place where you can be known. A place where you come here and someone else looks at you and says, me too. That's number one. We want to be a place of grace. Secondly, we want to be a place of ordinary things. Look at verse 7. 
the king says to Naaman, basically the king says that Naaman is too messed up. I can't can't help you. I I can't do anything for you. And so he sends him to Elisha. Look at verses 8 and 9. The prophet of God. And Elisha evidently gets word that it's pretty bad because he called for him. But then when he gets there, he doesn't want to go out and meet him face to face. Why? What is God doing? Well, God is pressing in on Naaman. He's trying to bring Naaman, just like he's trying to bring us to the end of ourselves, so that we'll trust in him alone. He's trying to show Naaman how bad his condition really is. Look at verse 10. He's then told that his leprosy would be healed if he would simply go wash seven times in the Jordan River. And so Naaman is offered healing. Think about this. Okay, this, think about if you were, imagine the scene. Naaman is told that he can be healed of his leprosy If he just goes and washes in the Jordan River, just go wash. That sounds like a pretty good deal, doesn't it? But look at verse 11. Do you notice the reaction? Twice in two verses, he's deeply offended by this. He's angry. Verse 12 says he's in a rage. Look at verse 12. Let's look at why he's reacting the way he is. Are not the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? You see where this is going? Could I not just wash in them and be clean? And he turned and went away in a rage. What is Naaman saying? He is saying in this passage, you know, the Jordan River really isn't that special. The Jordan River is so yesterday. It's so plain. It's so ordinary. I know of much bigger and better and more popular rivers that I could go and wash in. And so clearly whatever healing that this guy is offering me really isn't spectacular. It really isn't that special. And so we learn something about change and healing and transformation in this passage. And it's this. Transformation and change is found in simple, ordinary places. In simple, ordinary ways. All Naaman has to do is wash. And he hates it. He hates it and he goes off in a rage. And you know what? If we're honest this morning, we hate that kind of thing too, don't we? We don't believe that transformation and change is found in the simple, ordinary places in simple, ordinary ways. Why? Because we want spectacular. We want the exclamation points in life. We want most of the time when we think of the Christian life, we want those intense and we want those emotional and spiritual experiences. Are any of those things bad? Absolutely not. But this passage is showing us that change, more often than not, happens in very ordinary and simple ways, rather than in the intense, awesome, incredible exclamation points of life. As good as those moments are, you know as well as I do, what happens when they're over? Well, they go and evaporate very quickly, and you're sent chasing the next exclamation point. So what does that mean for faith church? Well, it believe, what it means for Faith Church and what we believe is that real change, that real transformation in your life is found, imagine this, it's found in what the church has been doing for 2,000 years. That real change and transformation is found in simple, ordinary things like what we're doing here this morning. The means of grace. It's found in getting in relationships with people. 
It's found in listening to the word preached and hearing people pray and singing songs about Jesus and coming to the table in the sacrament. Let's break that down real quick. We believe that real change takes place in the context of relationships. That's why community is so important. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. We believe there's real that something happens when you commit to a small group and show up every week and pray for people and share your life with people and walk through things uh, that people are going through. That's why we want every person that walks through the doors of our church meaningfully connected to other people. Because we believe there's power in community and that God uses it to change you and to make you more like Him. We also believe, secondly, when we think about the means of grace, we think the Bible is a really big deal at Faith Church. We believe that the Bible is the only rule and authority for faith and life. And we believe that any church that's worth going to is only worth going to to the degree that it aligns itself around the Bible. That's why everything we do at this church flows out of this book. That's why we open it up every Sunday morning. That's why when I get up here, I say, turn with me to, and I name a passage. It's why we open it up in our youth ministry, and in our children's ministry, and in our kingdom communities, and in our grace groups. We open up a book that's 2,000 years old. Imagine that. And we talk about Jesus. Why? Because the Bible and God tells us that's where the power is. That the word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And God actually uses it through his spirit to totally change your life and turn it upside down. I think that's amazing. That God uses this ordinary thing called the Bible to completely change your life. Why do we come to the table in the sacraments every week at our church? Well, because something's happening here. We do this every single week, this thing called the Lord's Supper, uh, not because of tradition and not to make our service go a little bit longer and not to keep you from getting to lunch more quickly. We believe something's happening. That God, through the sacraments, uh, He teaches us from His Word and tells us about the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God, but that tends to slip through our minds and hearts very quickly. And so God, being a good God, says, I'm going to give my people something besides the Bible to communicate my love and grace to them. And so he gives us this visual picture called sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper, these are visible signs for us of the gospel, of God's goodness and of his grace. And it's meant to strengthen. It's mysterious in some ways. But the Holy Spirit takes this and makes Jesus more alive and more real to your heart and changes your life. That's what we do at Faith Church. Very ordinary things. Things that the world would look from the outside and say, that sounds very boring and mundane. We do very ordinary things here, like just get in friendship with people. Go to coffee with people. Go walking or running Or get involved in someone's life. Or have them over for dinner. Or ordinary things like coming here and listening to a sermon. Or reading the Bible. Or singing songs about Jesus. Or praying. 
to God or eating. What is more mundane than eating? And we do it every single week around this table. And it doesn't sound exciting and it's not spectacular and it will get zero likes on Instagram, I assure you. But it's what God has given the church for 2,000 years. And this is the way you change and it's where transformation happens. It's in the ordinary places and very ordinary ways. Lastly, we want to be a place of good news. So Naaman's insulted because it's too ordinary, but he's also insulted because it's too easy. Did you pick up on that? Look at verse 5. So he went, he hears about this opportunity, he says, I've got to take something, I've got to do something, I've got to earn this. And so he takes his 10 talents of silver and 6,000 shekels of gold. What is Naaman doing? He's basically saying, I want you to see how strong I am. I want you to see I've got the resources here to pay for what's going to happen. I'm the commander of the Syrian army. I have wealth. I'm going to show you that I deserve this healing and deserve being cured of my leprosy. I love verse 13. It's kind of humorous if you think about what's being said here. These servants come and say, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? The actual translation there in the original is, He has asked you to do no great thing. You see what the servants are saying? Naaman, are you crazy? (laughs) Are you nuts? You've got leprosy and all he's told you to do is get in the water and you're pushing back. You've got to be kidding me. That's what they're saying. Just get in the river. It's no great thing. But friends, if we're honest, that also sounds exactly like us, doesn't it? That's often what we do. We don't believe that it's that easy, that it's that simple just to come to God as we are. Sick and lonely and weak and broken and needy. And so we come to God, and just like Naaman, and we bring our silver, and we bring our stuff, and we bring our good works, and we say, God, look at this. Look at what I've done. Will you love me now? Or we come and say, I deserve this. Look at how good I've been. Look at my track record. Or we come and we say, I promise to do better. And it's because we think that way we connect with God is through being good enough. And that's what a lot of people think Christianity is. Think that Christianity is connecting and relating to God based on your own merit and your own goodness and your own works on basically how good you are. And it makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense because think about the way the world works. Isn't that the way the world works? If you want a job, how do you get a job? You got to have the best resume. If you want to get into college... You better have good scores, and that's even getting harder and harder. You better, you better be involved in high school. You better have a good GPA. If you want to play on the sports team, how do you play on the sports team? You've got to be good enough. See, the only problem, that's the way the world works, but that's not the way God works. The kingdom of God is the complete opposite. You see, God comes and relates to his people by grace alone. And what that means is that Christianity and the gospel is for everyone. It's for everyone, no matter what you've done 
And no matter how bad you think you are, you see, there's a reason why it's called good news. The reason why it's called good news is that anyone can be washed. All you have to do is come to Jesus and get in the river and let Jesus clean you. Let him wash you and make you clean. And it's basically this passage is saying what we've heard all year as our, if we've been studying the book of Galatians is the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. That the only way anyone ever gets in is if Jesus does it all from beginning to end. And so what does that mean for Faith Church? Well, it means that we want to be a place that proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ. We want to be a place that doesn't proclaim good advice to put you further under the burden than you already feel, but we want to be a place of news, a place that proclaims the good news, the amazing, scandalous grace of God for people like you and me who have leprous hearts. That's what we want to be about. And we believe that gospel... It's for every single person. Whether you're not a Christian, whether you're a new Christian, whether you're a mature Christian, or somewhere in between, we believe that we all need the same thing this morning. We believe that you never outgrow the gospel. And so we talk about Jesus all the time in our church. We talk about Jesus because we believe we need to drive the gospel deeper and apply it more and more to every area of our hearts. Why do we do that? Because the gospel is the way you change. Look at verse 15. The gospel is the only thing that can heal our hearts. And if you look at verse 15, the reason what I, that I wanted to read it is you see Naaman's life completely flipped around. Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. That is a radical shift in his life because he would have been a polytheist, which basically meant that he saw the world as having many different gods. And now, all of a sudden, he encounters the God of the Bible. And look at what he says. There's no God in the universe but one. The God of Israel. He totally sees the world differently. Well, that's what we want to be about at Faith Church as well. We want everybody that comes through the doors of our church to encounter Jesus. And when they encounter Jesus and they learn how good he really is and how deeply he loves them, then that slowly but surely begins to change your life so that you start to see your life and your work and your friendships and your sexuality and your marriage and your singleness and everything in between. You start to see those things differently because of an encounter with Jesus. We want to see that happen in every single person that walks through the doors of our church. So that's Faith Church in a nutshell. We want to be a place where people come and regularly admit, starting with your senior pastor, that we are needy people, that we desperately need Jesus. Secondly, we want to be a place that holds up the means, ordinary, the ordinary means of grace and say, For 2,000 years, this is the way the church has worked. And we want to put ourselves under those means of grace. Community, the word, the sacrament is prayer as much as possible. Because that's how you change. And lastly, we want to be a place not of good advice, but of good news. Let's pray and let's ask God to do that.
in our church. Let's pray together. Father, we began a new school year and a new ministry year of sorts, and we want to just stop and acknowledge, Jesus, that you are the head of this church. This is not our church, this is your church. We thank you for all the ways that you're working in our midst. I pray that you would uh, help us so that we are moved by the gospel. That we are moved by the ordinary message of you sending your son into the world um, to save us. Lord, that has become too common for us. And so would you make it fresh in our hearts this morning? Would you make us a place of grace? Would you make us a place that loves ordinary things like the means of grace, like listening to the Bible and the sacraments? Lord, we would be very thankful if you would do these things. And we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen.